And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We are back to the conversation. Pastor Steve Deal of Forgiveness Ministries today in studio with us. 888 the toll-free number to call with your comments and questions. Let's lead off with Gloria in Berkeley. Gloria, come on in with your comment or question for Pastor Deal. Yes, hello, uh, Craig and Pastor Deal. I want to ask Pastor Dill about forgiveness and boundaries. What do you do when you forgive a person, but that person is um, angry, abusive, verbally or physically, or even cyber bullying? And what do you do with, yes, I want to forgive that person, or I am forgiving that person, but I still need to set some boundaries because that person isn't healthy wow. mentally. That's an excellent question. Let's talk about that in light of the notion of forgiveness of penalty versus consequence. Yeah, and the English language um, doesn't help us here because the word penalty would be considered by most to be under the bigger umbrella of consequence. Mm-hmm. But I find in the Bible that it would be most helpful for us English speakers to separate these two words. There is a penalty for sin for which Jesus paid. And then there are consequences of sin. And in the Bible, God describes both of these as being lethal. Obviously, the penalty for sin is lethal. Jesus died physically. This is my body. This is my blood to pay the penalty for sin. But he also describes the many consequences, and there are many different kinds of consequences for each sin um, as a form of death. There's relational death, emotional death. There is physical death. There's many ways to die physically. Jesus died in a unique way. Um, And when someone is sinning against us, as uh, Gloria has uh, asked about, we need to forgive them of the penalty by believing Jesus died and paid the penalty for them. That's where our anger resides, is our heart's cry for justice. And when we can feel Jesus suffering and dying to pay the penalty for someone else's sin, then our heart's cry for justice is satisfied, our anger goes away, and we can start to love the person who sinned against us. And it really is a different perspective versus the notion of pity because it's easy to look at somebody and say well you know they they did a horrible thing to me but you know they they were abused as a child right. they 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 had bad experiences that led to that and we have a sense that we're kind of letting them off the hook Let, let's because get we back pity to them as opposed to genuinely seeing them as an individual for whom Christ died amen and let's get back to that because when we see a perpetrator as a victim when we see them hurting then there is and should be a compassion for them. But that compassion is not forgiveness. And that compassion is not pity either. And the compassion is not pity okay. either. We need to believe Jesus died, believe to the point that we feel it, that Jesus died for our sins, the penalty, and he died for the penalty of other people's sins so we can forgive them. However, pertinent to Gloria's question, what do we do with a person we've forgiven at the cross and our anger is gone and yet they are still sinning against us? They're still... Uh, hurting us. Uh, Does forgiveness mean we just take it, we tolerate it? Absolutely not, because the other side of the problem of sin are consequences. Sins are a crime, they have a penalty, but they're also a stupid act like putting your hand on a hot stove. And when you put your hand on a hot stove, 
you will get burned. That's the law of the universe. And it doesn't matter whether you do it accidentally or deliberately. And it doesn't matter if someone forces your hand on the hot stove. That's what people are doing to us when they sin against us. They're stabbing our soul. They're forcing our hand on the hot stove. That's why it hurts. We're being hurt and damaged. Forgiveness does not mean saying, hey, it's okay, I can take it. It means saying, I'm not angry because my heart's cry for justice has been satisfied at the cross. However, however, I need to set up some boundaries. I need to give you an opportunity to repent. I need you to have to feel the painful consequences of your sin with the hopeful prayer that you'll stop sinning, that you'll turn around and repent. What do we do, or is this a misapplication, when we hear people cite, for example, uh, turning the other cheek? I believe turning the other cheek is not codependency or being a doormat. Love, all Real love is the position of power. When Jesus taught that about turning the other cheek, I believe forgiveness needs to happen in between the first slap and the offer of the second uh, slap. Mm is that if we forgive the person who slapped us the first time so our anger is gone, then we can think clearly because our soul has been healed. What do you want me to do, Lord, next? How do I love this person who just slapped me? Should I call the police? Should I get a restraining order? Should I demand that they move out of the house? Should I disconnect my finances from them? Should I quit the job or should I fire the employee? Or, or... Do you want me to turn the other cheek and show them unexpected, extraordinary kindness? Because the Bible teaches there are two ways to help a person become repentant. One is by letting them feel the pain of what they've done. That's what Jesus teaches in many places, but in one place is Matthew 18, usually in the verses about church discipline, that if someone sins against you, go and confront them privately. If they don't listen get two or three others involved. If they don't listen to them, get the whole church involved. And if they don't listen to the whole church, we're to treat that offender as a tax collector or a Gentile. That's setting up boundaries. That's saying, I can't have an intimate relationship with you because you won't stop sinning. You're still hurting me. But the other way the Bible says repentance can be brought about is through kindness. In Romans 2, 2, Paul says, do you not know that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. So when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, he wasn't saying do this all the time in every situation. It was a principle of watch yourself. You're naturally always going to want to fight back and hurt the person. But I say to you, don't resist him who is evil. If someone slaps you on the one cheek, turn to him the other. That is, forgive the person And then maybe by extending extraordinary, unexpected kindness, that may actually lead to their repentance and a a possible restoration. Is there a degree to which we could compare that to extending grace, or is that a misappropriation of, of the term grace? No, I think you're right on the money there. I think grace is a large gift filled with lots of gifts inside of it. I mean, grace literally means a gift. Mm-hmm. So when we are giving people forgiveness and kindness when they don't deserve I mean, if someone deserves it, it's not a gift, it's a wage. But if someone, if you give someone something good, you sacrifice for them, you love them, you pray for them, in spite of what they've done to you, um, you, they haven't earned it. 
That's that unmerited it's, favor. It's unmerited favor. Mm-hmm. It's God's grace flowing through us to another person. Uh, I, let me go back to the caller. Gloria, does that begin to answer your question? Yes, it's a beginning, and I agree with it. However, the Bible also says, and I believe in looking at the whole counsel of God, the Bible also says that if you allow a person to keep on sinning and and not allowing them to have any consequences, then you actually enable them to keep on sinning. And so there comes a point, particularly when you are dealing in a relationship. I'm, you know, uh, I'm not talking about the, the, you know, I, I used to work in mental health and I actually had a, a client, you know, hit me one time and I was able to, you know, forgive that person right away and, and turn the other cheek as, as necessary. But in a relationship where you're giving this person time after time and chance after chance to repent and all they do is keep uh, stabbing you in the back and attacking you, whether verbally or physically, then it comes to a point where you have to set a boundary that what Steve was saying or alluding to, that you have to allow some consequences. Absolutely. Yes, Uh, absolutely. uh, Undoubtedly so. Wholehearted agreement. Matter of fact, in when we, we talk about the two sides of forgiveness, we call the forgiveness of the penalty of sin personal forgiveness. And that takes place because Jesus paid the penalty for us all, the people, for our own sins and for the people who sin against us. But the second side of forgiveness we call relational forgiveness. What kind of relationship can I have with someone who has or may still be sinning against me? And that is all dependent on whether or not they become repentant. There are so many Bible verses, Old and New Testament, that link not um, in some tentative uh, way, but in a very deliberate way, that when repentance happens, then forgiveness can take place. When, for, when repentance does not happen, then forgiveness of the consequences cannot take place. And when someone does... Um, hinder the painful consequences that a person should feel because of their wrong choices, that's called codependency. That's being a doormat. That's not love. That's, that's a coping mechanism. That's destructive. And so God is all, this is why God actually allows the painful consequences of sin to play out in the world. Well, and even to the degree, and correct me if my theology maybe is not on track here, but doesn't God, even in the relationship of of forgiveness between himself and creation, demonstrate your point or prove your point out by saying, differentiating between forgiveness of penalty versus forgiveness of consequences? We know that the wages of sin is death. That's consequences. That's consequences. We are forgiven. The penalty has been paid on our behalf, and yet mankind does not escape the the consequences. That's right. So the content, like you would equate it to the individual who says, well, I've spent a whole lifetime uh, as an active, aggressive alcoholic, came to Christ, Jesus has forgiven me, and then I eventually die from cirrhosis of the liver because I have while yet been forgiven right. and have received payment of the penalty on my behalf. So now I have been able to escape the penalty of sin, but nevertheless the consequences of my sin and what I have done to my body 
I still have to reckon with. That's right. And the good news is is that many, perhaps most, uh, to some degree, if not, well, you can't say it's not all, most consequences of our sins. God says, I can forgive. He uses the same Greek and Hebrew words, Old and New Testament. He talks about forgiving penalty. He also talks about forgiving consequences. It's the context that alerts us to which is being forgiven. Mm. And God says, the good news is, you don't have to suffer your consequences forever. I can forgive the consequences of sin. By that, he means I can change the future consequences But he says, for me to change the future consequences, you have to repent. That is, if if sinning is like putting your hand on a hot stove, God says, I can heal the damage the heat has caused your hand. But you have to do something first. (laughs) You have to stop putting it on the hot stove. You have to take your hand (laughs) off the stove. Otherwise, healing your hand when it's Mm -hmm. on the stove is, is illogical, makes no sense. So to bring this to full circle for Gloria... What can be suggested and, and, and drawn out of what you have shared is that, yes, she can and should extend forgiveness of the penalty, of the penalty. but if there is abuse taking place, physical, emotional, otherwise, that boundaries do need to be drawn that That's are right. a part of the consequences. That's right. And not only boundaries, but... Um, Boundaries and increasingly severe painful consequences, not for the purpose of punishing the person, Mm -hmm. but to help motivate them to change. Again, I don't want to put my hand on a hot stove. Neither do you, Craig. Neither neither do our listeners, because if you've ever done it, you know what it feels like. You go, I'm not doing that again. The problem in a codependent relationship is someone is doing something hurtful and wrong, and they're not feeling the full weight of the pain of what they're doing. Someone else is feeling the pain. And so the perpetrator has really little to no reason to change or to repent. Matter of fact, and this would be affirming and I think encouraging to Gloria, in in God's relating to all of humanity, he does not let this go on forever. There is a judgment day, which is about consequences. And there comes a time when God says, since you don't want to have a relationship with me, you don't want to repent, you don't want to believe in Jesus, we're going to have to put a boundary between you and me and between you who don't want to be like Jesus and all of you who want to be like Jesus. And that's what the hell and the lake of fire is all about, is God says, I'm going to put a permanent boundary between these two groups. And at the end of the day, that is so critically important, and, and it is painful to see people that would try to articulate a message that suggests, well, this whole business of hell, does, it's more figurative, it doesn't really exist. Listen, if we take the consequences of eternal damnation, hell, out of the equation— then the glory of God's love and compassion and mercy suddenly disappears. And it, it kind it of is, makes our love and our choices a joke because there's no seriousness about it. It has no real meaning. His just love a means something in the context of his justice and yes. his righteousness. And not only that, but our love has to mean something. For our God made us to be creatures of love, which means what we choose has to matter. When I choose to love God and love others, it makes an eternal difference. When I choose to love myself more than God or others, 
I'm going to suffer the consequences, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be real. And if I'm not a Christian, if I haven't surrendered my life over to God to be changed from a sinner to a lover of God and others, I'm going to suffer those consequences forever. Gloria, thank you so much for your call. That leaves a line open, 888 We need to take a brief time out here, uh, like maybe 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I'm Italian. We work with sundials. There's no, not enough light in this room, so I can't tell. <laughs> Let's see what's going on traffic-wise. You're on hold. Stay with us. We've locked all the doors, padlocked Steve's exit, so he's going to stay with us as well. We're going to get right back to your comments and questions, Steve Deal, as we talk about forgiveness, and we'll do that right after we talk about traffic with Michael Bennett. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the Conversation 615 as we continue our conversation tonight in studio Steve Deal with Forgiveness Ministries. I'll mention again that there's going to be a two-day workshop hosted by Walnut Creek Friends Church that uh, you can participate in if many of the topics related to forgiveness have resonated with you and you're thinking, you know... I don't think I really understand this the way I thought I did, but it sounds like I need to, then this weekend workshop is ideal for you. Again, that'll be April the 27th, 28th. That's Friday, Saturday. Yeah, and just Friday night from 7 o'clock in the evening till 9, and then all day Saturday Okay, from and uh, registration information available, forgivenessministries.com. That's forgivenessministries.com. I'll mention, too, if you'd like to have Steve come to your local church, put on a workshop, Preach on a Sunday. Take over the pulpit on a Sunday morning. He is available to do so, and you can get more details at forgivenessministries.com. Let's uh, jump back in here to the conversation, and uh, we're going to go to uh, San Francisco. Play Misty for me. Hey, Misty, thanks for your patience and holding. Come on in with your comment or question for Steve Deal. Hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to chime in on this. I was hearing what Gloria had to say. And just a couple of things come up for me, which, I mean, this is, you know, it's a hard issue down the line. And what we're dealing with in the world these days, I mean, I just see nothing but <laughs> nothing but chaos and abusers out there. It's very rampant, and most people don't take responsibility. And most people, in the end of the day, really don't change. I mean, it's hard for one person to change themselves, let alone to change someone else. And what I see is that we really need to not cast our pearl before swine, and if something is repeating and repeating and repeating, it's a toxic situation, and we just have to kind of remove ourselves from that person. I mean, that's it. And I think people need to be repentant for forgiveness. I think the Lord says to us, "Come, to, come to me." And also, we're supposed to ask for our forgiveness. Um, those of us who are not saved and who have not come to Christ, I mean, He died for their sins, but they are not if you know what I mean, not forgiven, they're on their way to hell because they don't want Christ. So I think you also need to want to be forgiven, at least repentant and acknowledgement that you've done someone wrong. And most people, when you tell them what they've done wrong that is serious or not serious, they reverse it. They just reverse it, and they, they act like the innocent person was the party. And so, you know, that responsibility we cannot cause that other person to take. But, you know, I understand forgiveness in the way that we separate ourselves from it. We try to remove that hostility from us and just kind of move on. And I think we need to be clear in making the distinction here that none of this is suggested that you're doing something that will force that other person to change. 
No. That, that doesn't work. No, no. Matter of fact, forgiving someone else of the penalty. Now, whenever we use the word forgiveness, whether we're preachers or Bible study, or just even when we read the Bible, we come across the word forgiveness. We have to train ourselves to start thinking this way. Is the writer talking about forgiveness of penalty or forgiveness of consequences? And context will tell us. If it's unconditional, it's going to be connected to the penalty. blood of Jesus Christ. It's about forgiveness of penalty. If it's conditional, if repentance is necessary, then it's about consequences. And, uh, Misty, I wholeheartedly agree with you, too. When people just keep sinning and sinning and sinning, what they're doing is demonstrating they don't really want to change. Matter of fact, one of the characteristics of a truly repentant person is that a repentant person will always, always, always try to do something to change. It may not work, but they are committed to change. Now, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is about change. I think another way that Satan has got in and messed up our whole understanding of forgiveness is we've turned the gospel and forgiveness into a way to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people think that they don't have to change, but if they believe in Jesus, Jesus died, paid for the penalty of their sin, they're okay, now they're going to go to heaven and live happily ever after. But they have no intention to change. No, in the old days we used to say it was the equivalent of buying fire insurance. That's right. <laughs> and, and Jesus said it this way, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only those who actually want to do the will of my Father in heaven. So repentant people want to change. Saved people are people who want and need and see Jesus as being the only true change agent in their lives. And without Jesus, they cannot change. You will know them by their works, and that is demonstrative of that very notion of showing an effort, putting forth the investment in trying to modify behavior. That's right. Now, I want to tread very lightly here because there's also this notion of Extending forgiveness, release of the penalty, seeing that person as an individual that Christ suffered on behalf of, because God is so deeply in love with with them, and extending that kind of forgiveness is as much in a sense about them as it is about me and how this plays out in my heart and soul, because it would seem to me that short of that perspective, being able to cut out that root of anger and bitterness because of the way I've been wrong is going to be nearly impossible. Right. So as I'm extending that perspective of God's viewpoint of that individual from the penalty that Christ paid on the cross on their behalf because God loves them so much— the sort of boomerang effect is releasing me, cutting short that root of anger and bitterness. So there is a benefit in a sense to me, but I, I, I'm so I'm I'm, I'm, I'm kind There's of wrestling tr- with this because I don't want it to all of a sudden be about well, just forgive because you're going to get something out of this. Right, and and actually, there's a tremendous benefit benefit for us. It's why again we call it personal forgiveness, the side of forgiveness of forgiving the penalty. When I forgive someone else, I am of the penalty of their sin against me. I am the primary benefactor. I get changed. I get healed. The other person doesn't get changed. They don't get healed because I forgive them. They have to go through their own practice of forgiveness for God to heal them. And if they don't know Jesus, it's not going to happen. 
Um, it's almost like releasing yourself from the consequences of the unforgiveness. Because well, there are yes, consequences yes. when you don't forgive another. That's absolutely true. And that's what's in the Lord's Prayer and, and it's taught in a few other places that if you were to sin against me, Craig, I would suffer the consequences of your sin against me. But if I don't forgive you, I'm going to suffer those consequences and the consequences of not forgiving you. And, and interesting to note, again, you talk about conditional and non-conditional, the order in which the Lord's Prayer, articulating that we should, Father, forgive us our debts or our transgressions, our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And... and the the key there is i think in the lord's prayer forgiveness is so critical and that's the word it is so critical to growing in christ being healed inwardly to the salvation the working out of our salvation as paul says in philippians it is so critical to that process that in the lord's prayer there's a warning statement because in the lord's prayer we're not asking god to forgive us we're asking him to forgive us in the same way we're forgiving other people so when I discovered that and I was still unfamiliar with real forgiveness and was angry at Becky, literally whenever I would say the Lord's Prayer, I would hum that line because I did not want saying to God, Lord, yeah. please forgive me in the same poor way mm-hmm. that I'm unable to forgive my mm-hmm. own wife. So I hummed through it. So I, I think the lesson there is when we pray the Lord's Prayer, which I don't think most people realize what they're asking for when they pray it, is God saying, you forgiving other people is critical to what I want to do in your life in setting you free and healing. And when you don't forgive other people the way, the way I have forgiven you, you're going to continue in your broken, broken state. That is, I cannot forgive the consequences of that brokenness until you forgive. Those two letters pack quite the theological punch, the two letters being as, A-S, mm-hmm. as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. Misty, thank you for your call. We're going to move on next to uh, Jeff up in the state capital, Sacramento. Come on in with Jeff with your comment or question for Pastor Steve Deal. Yes, I have a question. I, I, I hope I'm not off topic, but I'm struggling with this issue of forgiving an individual um, and at the same time considering taking uh, legal, uh, a civil lawsuit against us person and uh, this is in another state where there's provisions in the civil code to do this but uh, this is an individual that has broken up my marriage and continues to do so and so I'm totally willing to forgive Um, it's just that it's um, the person won't stop and in this particular state it's called alienation of affection and uh, I'm struggling with this idea of you know, lawsuits in general as a believer and and that uh, it should be avoided uh, when obviously when possible. And and uh, yet uh, I don't know um, what my marriage would look like if this other person was not involved. And this is not infidelity, incidentally. This is an ex-significant uh, other of my own who has gone on record that she's going to break up my marriage and when this one's broken up she'll break up my next relationship so wow threatening my entire this it's quite it's just as crazy as it sounds so it sounds like she's got a lot of forgiveness she needs to learn she has about. a lot of forgiveness <laughs> issues yeah 
Well, you at, you're asking a very um, important question, and again, it's an application. You have to learn to separate these two sides of sin and forgiveness. You say you're willing to forgive her. Remember, I just said you, you have to qualify. Forgive her of what? For, of the penalty or the consequences? And I want to suggest you can forgive her of the penalty because Jesus died for her. She's already forgiven. You need to catch up to where God is. However, she is still sinning against you. And she is unrepentant, which means she is going to continue to suffer the negative consequences. And sometimes God wants us to be a part of those consequences. I once arrested a drunk driver who fell asleep at the wheel in front of my car while loaded with my wife and my kids uh, late one night. I was the only person the police said qualified to arrest this person because I was the only person who, they, they hadn't seen him drive drunk. I got in his car, drove down to a gas station. He was in the passenger seat, um, passed out when the police came. They believed what I, they said, but they said, somebody has to appear in a court of law and testify against this man, and you can do a citizen's arrest. And my wife and I prayed, forgiving him at the cross, and not out of anger, but out of love for this man, I arrested him. And so, Jeff, I want to suggest to you, you need to forgive this woman first at the cross of Jesus Christ so that your heart's cry for justice is satisfied and God's love can flow cleanly through you. Then you can ask God, Lord, how do you want me to express your love to this person? Do you want me to follow through with painful consequences such as suing her or taking her to court? Or is there something else you want me to do? And there's no one right answer to that. Every situation's different. We have to find out from God whether we're to turn the other cheek, show extraordinary kindness, or whether the best, most loving thing to do is to arrest them. Makes sense? Yes, it does. Thank you. You're welcome. It's, it's, you know, it's a tough one because we really need to walk that fine line in understanding this is really... A two-step process, isn't it? Yes, I mean, we, we there's look two at, sides. Yeah, we, two we think of this process. as sort of the one thing, either one and done, and we sometimes will default on passages of Scripture that try to justify what we're trying to do one way or the other. Forgive 70 times 7. Well, that sounds well, good. Said. Okay, that means that we just have to keep forgiving no matter what they do, no matter how hard it is. We have to do this, not differentiating between forgiveness, that is the release of the penalty, versus forgiveness related to the consequences of sin. As a matter of fact, you're right on the money there. When Jesus answered Peter's question, how many times do I have to forgive? Notice Peter wasn't asking how to forgive. It's why he had to. Do I have to do this? Do I have to? (laughs) The Pharisees were teaching at that time, we understand the people either three or four times. So let's say four times. Peter knew Jesus' answer was going to be more than four. How many times do I have to forgive the same person for the same sin? Now, Peter wasn't even differentiating yet between penalty and consequences. He suggested maybe seven times. Jesus starts to focus, though, on the penalty side and the consequence that Peter was experiencing. This person, and I believe it was one of the other disciples, uh, this wasn't asked in um, a vacuum. In a vacuum, yeah. It was, it was <laughs> in the family. It was in the family. And Peter's angry. His heart's crying out for justice, and he knows he has to forgive like many Christians do, but he doesn't know why. And so he's resisting it because his heart's crying out for justice. 
please don't tell me it's more than seven. Jesus said, oh, it's not seven. It's 70 times seven. <laughs> but it's not even 490 because then he tells the famous story about a man who was forgiven much who didn't forgive. And that man who didn't forgive, Jesus said at the end, was handed over to torturers. And torturers work in a prison. So he was thrown in a prison, handed over to torturers. Now, many people have asked me, Craig, does God create torturers and throw us, hand us over to them or are demons torturers? I'd say, no, no, no. This is a story. It's an allegory. There's a picture there. Torturers cause pain. Prisons limit freedom. As I said earlier, my son broke his neck. My son-in-law broke his neck years ago in a diving accident. He has an injury to his body, caused intense pain. He still feels pain from this injury and his freedom is severely limited. I think Jesus was saying to Peter, Peter, you don't understand that this person that you need to forgive, you need to forgive because he knifed your soul. You're damaged. You're broken. You're not going to be able to function properly unless and until you let my Father heal you. Otherwise, you're going to stay in pain with your freedom limited. But if you forgive him, God can heal you. The pain will go away, and your freedom will be restored really coming to the perspective of, of essentially, and we're good at this, we, we, we sometimes get so stuck on this notion of, of justice and rule of law, and we want to be able to right the wrong and even the score, that we, we focus on what we perceive to be as the just penalty for the way in which we have been wounded and get stuck there. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, learning to understand the importance of forgiveness as a way of being able to release ourselves from being stuck. In a prison, broken. We are broken because the sin has wounded us. And if we go back again to that heart's cry for justice, I believe God, in making the human soul following the same pattern with the human body, our bodies have needs. We need air, we need water, we need a certain temperature, we need food. Um, The human soul has needs. Every human soul, I believe, created by God, needs to feel loved. Not just to be loved, but to feel loved. And when a person does not feel loved, they're a very desperate person who will do almost anything to try to become loved or stop the feeling. We also need to feel significant. It seems that God has put in the human soul a need corresponding to whoever or whatever he is. And God is just. That's why our hearts cry out for justice. When someone wrongs us, something deep inside of our soul says, this is wrong. Somebody has to pay to make this right. And that's what Jesus was doing. He was paying to put the universe back in balance. He was paying the justice of God, what the justice of God required. And amazing how readily we can see the need for justice when it relates to somebody else forgetting, well, wait a minute now, let's connect the dots here. Yes. That equally, a holy, righteous, just God says the same thing. Yes, that's right. Matter of fact, it's very helpful, I found in practicing forgiveness, that when we are struggling with um, feeling the anger or the hurt that someone has inflicted upon us, that we start to let God empathize with us, believing that he feels our pain. And that comforts us in our pain. But we also need to believe that God is more angry at what this person did to us than we are. 
that he is more holy, more just, more righteous than we are. That's a, that's a no-brainer, right? Mm-hmm. He is more holy, more just, more righteous than we are, which means he's more angry at sin than we are. And when we only process a sin as that which you do against me and not that which you did against me, but it's first and foremost a sin against a holy, just, and righteous God, and he says you ought to die because of what you did to me. That takes on a whole different picture for me. I start to see you as sinning against God and victimizing me, and God, the holy and just God, is going to take action against you. And he did 2,000 years ago Mm -hmm. in the body of Jesus Christ. God sees that. God understands that. God set up the scenario Mm -hmm. through the work of his son on the cross to pay that penalty. And I think suddenly, too, our ability to extend that grace toward another can flow easier when we better understand the grace that has first been shown toward us. Amen. We call, we call, uh, uh, we say that sin travels in three directions. Uh, I sin against God. Other people sin against me. I sin against other people. We call those the three paths of sin. There are three corresponding paths of forgiveness. I need to learn to receive God's forgiveness of my sins against him. When I do that, he heals me. I also need to learn to forgive the people who sin against me. Again, he heals me. And I need to ask the people I've sinned against to forgive me. Even if they say no, God heals me. These three paths are critical, and they're in that order for the reason you just mentioned. The better we understand our own forgiveness and receive forgiveness from God rightly, the better we're able to forgive other people. But again, unfortunately, so many people have mixed up ideas about their own forgiveness, it, then it makes it impossible for them to forgive other people. For example, when I ask audiences, why does God forgive you? The number one thing that Christians shout out is because he loves us. And I say, you know, it's biblically true. It's true in reality that God loves you, but he doesn't forgive you because he loves you. If he could do that, Jesus didn't, die for, didn't need to die for you. God forgives you because Jesus died and paid the penalty for you. He sent his son to die for you because he loves you. Love is a part of it, but forgiveness happens because of the cross. Absolutely. And to come full circle to a couple of references that we made this evening to the Lord's Prayer, I think folks need to also understand it's not just simply rote memorization so that in a convenient time when there's nothing else to pray on uh, the uh, you know, National Day of Prayer or whatever, we, we kind of pull that one out of, the, out of the hat. We all know it. We can all recite it together. But it is the content of that prayer and what is line by line, stanza by stanza, being instructed in there that you know not how to pray as you should, so let me show you. Mm-hmm. It is less about rote and more about the, the, the principles contained therein. And so when we come back full circle to that notion that we are beseeching God to please forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us and understanding that that is a conditional that we're offering up to God. Now, that's a good point. See, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, which side of forgiveness are we asking him to forgive us of, penalty or consequences? Because if the penalty is 
forgiven unconditionally because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, there's no reason to ask for it. Matter of fact, there is no asking. Years ago, I went through the Bible to document all the verses that teach us to ask God to forgive us. I was shocked to find none. Because then I realized, why would God instruct us to ask for something he's telling us he's already, already given done. us? Mm-hmm. And, and we have to differentiate between asking for or seeking forgiveness versus seeking or engaging in repentance. And engaging in repentance. Mm-hmm. Because the Lord's prayer is about more about the forgiveness of consequences. Mm-hmm. God, forgive me of the consequences of my sin as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Some amazing lessons, and we have, of course, just scratched the surface here. Now, let me once again reiterate for listeners that might have tuned in a little bit late. Steve is going to be conducting a two-day workshop. Begins Friday evening, April the 27th. Runs all day Saturday the 28th, hosted by Walnut Creek Friends Church. Details available on the web at ForgivenessMinistries.com. That's ForgivenessMinistries.com. You have syllabuses you have workshops yes. you do seminars you I've written two books all of it yeah we have a book called developing a lifestyle of forgiveness it's a workbook that people write in they can order that from online and then i have a new book out that right now is really in southeast asia that's where it was published they're entitling it unlocking the treasure of forgiveness we're working to get it here in the united states under the title what you might not know about forgiveness. We think that'll be available in just a couple months. All right. Let us know and come back when it is, would you? Meanwhile, folks can get information again on the web, forgivenessministries.com. That's forgivenessministries.com. I'll mention, too, that the podcast of tonight's broadcast will be up long about uh, 7.15 or so. If you look for the heavily uh, airbrushed photograph of me taken back uh, <laughs> probably just at the dawn of color photography, uh, you can click on that link and it will take you to the Lifeline podcast page where you can share that with others or certainly download tonight's broadcast and listen to it again. Again, at kfax.com to contact uh, Steve Deal, invite him to come to your church, conduct a workshop, or to uh, speak on the topic of forgiveness. Again, online at forgivenessministries.com. That's forgivenessministries.com. All right, we're so late, I'm going to have to ask that uh, Jarrell Martin extend a little bit of grace toward my direction as I ask you to forgive me. Thank you (laughs) for being late. And uh, let's get caught up first with Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. He'll set us on the right path to be sure. Michael, what's going on out there traffic-wise? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, when you think of a lot of the challenges that our nation has been facing for the last couple of three years, um, you know, unemployment situations, uh, loss of homes because of a foreclosure, uh, you know, it's easy to get discouraged, certainly to kind of live in that that place that's sort of permanent disappointment. And yet out of all of that, particularly for Christians, how do we we be uh, sort of adequately rise up and, and, and above all of that so we can go on with life and, and enjoy victory in our relationship with Christ? Well, that topic uh, centers around the title of a new book written by my next guest. Uh, you'll recognize her as having been the uh, Emmy Award-winning co-host of Aspiring Women on uh, KTLN here in the San Francisco Bay Area. She's written a number of best-selling books, in fact, over 30 to her credit, including her latest, How to Get Past Disappointment 
Finding Hope. And Michelle McKinney-Hammond. Michelle, great to have you on the show. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Boy, this is uh, this is a timely topic. So many people are just dealing with that kind of overall biting sense of disappointment of what's going on. They've, you know, Life can be tough enough, and then when you add to it the economy and so on and so forth, yes. I think a lot of people kind of get stuck in that place and they don't know how to get out. Yes, yes. Because they begin to see cycles in their lives, and it, it leads to the, to the deception that this is all life has to offer, and, well, I should just settle in and, and not expect more than where I am. And then we begin to, to make choices that sink us even lower in, into that place, you know? And then I wonder, as that process is kind of taking place, um, if there needs to be a change in our thinking. You know, I think there are some Christians who who move into that position of defeat and disappointment, and they kind of, you know, kind of conclude that it's here, it's here to stay, so I have to learn to live with disappointment right. as opposed to learning from disappointment and then moving on back into victory. Right. Because every disappointment, you know, a friend of mine um, all describes disappointment as a disappointment uh, in the sense that we make appointments in life for ourselves, decisions of, of what should be or how things should go. And when the other people don't meet us there, the other parties involved don't meet us there, we feel dissed, we feel um, cast off, um, and it just really invites a spirit of rejection that lowers our self-esteem and, and literally paralyzes us. Um, so that we do get stuck, as you said. And a lot of it, I think, then comes down to misguided expectations. I mean, let's think for a moment about people. How often do we live in that position of disappointment because our son, our daughter, our husband, our wife, uh, our parents uh, did something or behaved in a fashion that disappointed us, and now all of a sudden we're, we're kind of stuck in that defeat position? Yeah, yeah. It's true, and, and, and you know, it, life is, is a greater thing than that, and so we really cannot base uh, how, the conclusions that we make on life based on what people did or didn't do. It has to be, come from a, a deeper place. That's why I use the, uh, the woman at the well um, as an example um, in this book, How to Get Past Disappointment, because she had been through a cycle of disappointments that led her to the conclusion that that was all life had to offer for her. And, and the danger in that is that when we get so jaded by our disappointments, we can't recognize the blessing when it does present itself. And, you know, what's amazing about that story is that um, e- even as, as Jesus meets with her, mm-hmm. he knows exactly what's going on. Oh, yeah. You know, we, we, I think, sometimes think that we can kind of hide that. We try to mask those feelings mm-hmm. instead of coming to the terms with them or instead of dealing with the root cause of what is behind the disappointment and sometimes the role that we play because maybe we've gotten our eyes focused more on the person or the situation instead of keeping our eyes focused on Christ. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe as we're, you know, kind of trying to keep up fronts, you know, keep up appearances, and yet Jesus fully knows what's going on, doesn't he? He does, you know, and, and, and what I think is important for, for listeners to know is that despite your bad choices, um, your seeming failures, or even uh, the contributions you think you've made to your life being the way you are, Jesus makes an appointment with all of us. I mean, Jesus went to that well to meet that woman on purpose. It was a purposeful decision to be there that day when she got there. Um, and I think that he 
um, is just as purposeful with meeting us in those places of disappointment. He has an appointment to meet us there, um, to show us another way, to show us another wellspring, another area of fulfillment um, that will bring about uh, what we've been thirsting for. I don't think that she even realized how deep her disappointment was until he started pushing her buttons and uh, getting her to see that there was an option. You know, so many people that I talk to who are disappointed feel they don't have any other option. Mm. Um, I was just talking to um, a friend of mine the other day on the phone in uh, another failed relationship, and she said, well, here I am alone again, um, and I don't think I'll ever have anyone. I said, well, maybe you don't have anyone today, but don't feel that because that person rejected you that you have no options. You have options. And as a matter of fact, uh, we exercise those options every day. I mean, I always tell single people, you're alone because you want to be alone, because there are people that you de- decided that you did not want to have in your life. Mm. You know, so don't don't say that, you know, oh, you, you, you are the helpless person in this. No, you've had options that you chose not to exercise. So you are single by choice. How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, the title of her new book, newly published again by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com, as well as through Bay Area Christian bookstores and bookstores overall. Uh, Michelle, as we talk about sort of realigning our, our expectations, talk to me about the process of moving from from fear to hope in in the backdrop of dealing with circumstances, sometimes of our own creation, sometimes beyond our control. But nevertheless, how do we go about making that transition from fear to hope? Well, it really is taking, taking our eyes off of what we consider the source to seeing the root of the issue, because the disappointments in our lives are really the fruit that emanate from a root. And I I think that a lot of times we live on the surface and and we only deal with what we see versus what we don't see. Uh, When we look at the conversation that took place between Jesus and the woman at the well, we find out that the issue was deeper than her desire to be loved by these men. It really was a great need for God. Almost a crying Uh, out in a sense. Yes, yes. Uh, You know, she was trying to fill a void uh, to the best of her ability with something that was natural not knowing that what she needed was supernatural. Um, and, and, and it's very interesting because there's a very subtle uh, conversation that happens uh, when she tells Jesus, you know, this water that you're talking about, I want it because I'm tired of being thirsty and I don't want to have to come back here again. And I think that a lot of us are that way. We're tired of longing, and we don't want to keep revisiting the same issue over and over again in our lives. And he says, I'll give it to you, um, you know, go and get your husband and, now we get down to, to the nitty-gritty of confessing where we really are. She says, I don't have a husband. Well, I mean, she probably had been saying she had a husband. She was living with a man, according to the scripture. And he says, you've told the truth. And he congratulates her on it. He says, you've done well to tell the truth. So um, we know that the word says that the truth is what makes us free. It gives us the tools we need to, to get beyond where we are. And uh, so he congratulates her, he's very gracious with her, and says it's true that you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the one you're with now is not yours. So what he was bringing up was, here's this cycle that you've had in your life, and, and you, you've had five, five, six men, and you're still thirsty. 
you know, what have we continued to do and still felt the same longing, the same disappointment, even though we thought we were applying solutions to our, to our longings and desires? And I think that the light went on in her head because even though she perceived him to be a prophet, the question that she asked him was not about the men. It wasn't about, will those relationships work out? It was, how could she get to God? Because obviously the men had never been enough. And I say that what God is saying to all of us in the middle of our disappointments is, look to me so that I can show you the source of fulfillment. Look to me so I can give you the wisdom to find a better way to exercise different options in your life that bring about the victory that you desire. And, you know, you put it so well, because so often this ends ends up being a product of having put our trust, our faith, our hope and desire on something other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, most definitely. And, and he must be. You know, he says, I am the rewarder of those who diligently seek me. And then he says something even more spectacular. He says, at my right hand are pleasures evermore. I am your exceeding and great reward. And the reward is the pleasure of being in my company. Because when I come into your life, I bring everything that you've been looking for. And all of those solutions are found in me. He, he's the one who gives us the wisdom uh, to, to gain the things that he knows we want. He's not opposed to us having what we want. But he wants to add what we need to the ball game too. Yeah. And sometimes we don't recognize that. I don't think that uh, that woman didn't even know why. We don't know, you know, the, the inside scoop on all those relationships. He said she had had five husbands. So if he said five husbands and then differentiated that the one she was with was not hers, that means she had five legitimate husbands. What happened to them? Did they divorce her? Did they abuse her? Did they leave her? Did they die? We do not know. But out of it came a vow, obviously, that she was not going to put herself in the position to be disappointed again, and she made a bad choice. She made a choice that she thought would put her in the position of power by simply living with someone so that she could not be abandoned again. And we do that. We, we prop ourselves up and we begin to make compromises that we think are guarding our hearts, but it really puts us in the position for greater pain. We appreciate so much, uh, Michelle, the insights. I know a lot of this comes from your own life experience, and, and I'll let readers get a copy of the book to, uh, to get more details on that. Meanwhile, again, um, How to Get Past Disappointment, Finding Hope, published by Harvest House and available through Amazon.com and certainly at uh, Bay Area bookstores. Also information on the web at MichelleHammond.com. It's M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, MichelleHammond.com. Michelle, thanks again so much for your time. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.